Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Well, like I said, you're so welcome. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name's Andy. I'm the senior pastor here and um, I had a little uh, moment this morning where I found on my computer uh, the very first sermon uh, that was given uh, in Lagan Valley Vineyard, 7th of October 2012 in Haslam's Lane. Um, it was just incredible actually to see, there's probably two things really struck me. One, how naive we were um, and, and two, how, um, how God has done things that we said we were setting out to do. And um, that, was, that was really quite a humbling experience. Um, some of you maybe you don't know this, but uh, the first expression of Lagan Valley Vineyard on a Sunday morning wasn't actually Haslam's Lane. It was in a little house, uh, 100 Wallace Avenue was the address. It was our home at the time. Uh, there was six or eight of us uh, that gathered to think about this thing that we were doing. And... Um, there's a few uh, of that community that have stayed the course for the, the entire 10 years. And we know so many of you, and we'll, I'll get to the rest of you in just a minute, but we thought on this weekend it would be uh, remiss of us to not recognize some of the individuals that have literally been here from before this thing even really went public. And... Uh, Alistair and Cherith Cousins are among that number. They are on holidays. They booked a holiday <laughs> months and months and months and months and months ago and then found out about this. We're like, we're away. Uh, so they'll be here next Sunday. We will embarrass them then. Um, but uh, this morning, uh, Pete and Ali Curry are also among that number and they can't be with us today either. We'll embarrass them the next time they're, they're here too. But uh, Stephen Mayers and uh, James Toll, would you believe, uh, were with us uh, in, in those mornings in our home, 100 Wallace Avenue. And James and Stephen, would you come up, please? Would you guys give them a hand? Um, we, have a, we have a small, small gift for you both. Um, the lovely, my beautiful assistant, um, Yes, it's Monopoly. <laughs> Thanks, man. You drop your card here. Um, so did you, James. Thanks, guys. Um, I also, uh, in, in this moment, just want to recognize that uh, the incredible things that Jesus has done among us over the last 10 years, they're not my story or Vet's story or Mark's story or Dana's, they're our story, that this community is what it is because you are who you are. And the way that you love Jesus, serve him and follow him in this community is what has allowed us to become who we are. And uh, I am um, deeply humbled and honored uh, to get to do this thing called church uh, with you all. Would you take a moment? And uh, it's funny if I introduce an individual, you all go mad and applaud. But whenever I say applaud yourselves, it's a bit subdued. Um, we'll think about this as you applauding someone else in the room. Would you thank each other for everything they've given over the last 10 years? We have had a remarkable, a remarkable weekend. Uh, on Friday night, we gathered here. Um, our dear friend, Phil Emerson, uh, shared, uh, Donna Rocks uh, shared her story. Uh, it was so moving for us who've journeyed with Donna for pretty much the last 10 years. And uh, there was such a deep sense of family and intimacy actually in the room at times uh, it maybe even felt a little bit awkward how personal it felt like God was with us on on Friday night but it was it was beautiful um, the kids like Lauren said were uh, running amok and we are vertigo uh, and then yesterday afternoon uh, there was I think just over a hundred under 11s in high-rise behind us here and uh, I wanted to go to sleep after that um, <laughs> 
And um, Connor McBratney and Gary Bridge did just the most incredible job uh, last night with dinner. Yeah, thanks, guys. Last night, um, for any of you who were here, um, will know that we uh, witnessed something extraordinary as Ken and Regina Mellon shared their faithfulness to each other and their faithfulness to Jesus in uh, what was less than easy circumstances. Maybe I should put it that way. And then Damalola challenged us to be the church, to be light in dark places. And it is brilliant to celebrate it's wonderful to mark a moment together as a community to thank God for all that he has done. But um, uh, I was a part of uh, First Balnehinch Presbyterian Church a long time ago, uh, which is one of the oldest Presbyterian churches in Ireland. <laughs> we're selling our, celebrating our 10th anniversary. Uh, we're surrounded by communities of faith that have literally been here for centuries. And uh, we want to recognize that and honor the legacy of faith that we are a part of in this land. And also to recognize that we're just babies. And there is way more in front of us uh, than, there is, than there is behind us. And we want to take some time today to think together about the future. We've always been a community of dreams and vision. If you were around for a while, you'll remember I used to stand up here every week and say, we don't have a vision for a church. We have a dream for our city that the life of Jesus would come to every single person and every single part. The problem with that statement is that God kind of arrested me a few years ago now and said, Andy, that's not true. Yes, it's true that you have a dream for the community, but you also have a vision for the church. Our dream from the very beginning has been that this valley would be fully alive, every person and every part of it immersed in the life of Jesus. And our vision has always been that this would be an expression of the church of Jesus Christ that is on fire with the power of the Holy Spirit. Valley alive, and the church on fire. Dreams and vision, they're kind of the family business for the church and the people of God. Uh, what's tricky about that, particularly in Northern Ireland, is we don't really think of dreamers as helpful. Like if you go to like a parent interview in school and your teacher says that your child is a bit of a dreamer, you don't hear that as good news. And yet we see recorded very clearly in the scriptures that on the very first birthday of the church of Jesus, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, and Peter is explaining to people what's happening. He said, this is what happens when God moves in. The old are full of dream and the young have vision. That the church of Jesus is supposed to be a place where we are able to imagine a future that is different from our present. And not just imagine it, but embody it into being. That's our job. That we are supposed to, with God, look into the future and see something different than the darkness and the dysfunction of the days that we are living in. What you see right now wasn't even a dream 10 years ago. I don't know if we would have been bold enough to imagine all that God has done among us. And as we move together into the future, I want to take some time to remind us of some things that will not change. And then we're going to do something a bit mad, and the wheels might come off, but you're going to hear from seven other people about what they see as we move uh, into the future together. Like I said, we dream of a valley alive and the church on fire. There are four kind of key pillars that we have carried with us and that we've sought to live out over the last 10 years, convictions that we have sought to embody in our lives as we call this place home and do life here. The first is this, that we believe the church exists for the world. We have held that conviction deeply from the very beginning of this community. God commissions his people to be a blessing to the people around them wherever they are. We don't exist for ourselves. Friday night was marvelous, but if we never get to Saturday night or more importantly to tomorrow morning, we've missed the point. 
The church exists to be a blessing to the people wherever it finds itself. We long for the Lagan Valley to be full of the life of Christ, every person in every part, relying on the power and presence of the Holy Spirit at work among us to make impossible things possible for the sake of those who need it most. The way I said it on that very first Sunday in Hazem's Lane was, Jesus is closest to those who feel farthest from him. And our job is to find them and help them see that. The church exists for the world. The second thing is this. We commit to function like family. The church is designed to function like family. We commit to love each other, to forgive each other, and to listen to each other. Now, here's what's really interesting. Raise your hand if you have a perfect family. Isn't this funny, right? So none of us have perfect families. We've all got weird uncles or weird aunts or that person that when we're doing Sunday lunch always says something slightly inappropriate or slightly awkward. There's conflict, there's tension, there's all of those things. But then whenever we start to talk about the church's family and you bump into something imperfect, you think, well, I'm out of here. They said it was family and someone offended me, which is the most common thing you'll find in family. We are supposed to function like family because we will get on each other's nerves. And that is how we are formed into the likeness of Christ. It is as we bump into people who don't think like us and aren't interested in the things that we're interested in and, dare I say, even offend us that we've got to actually practice forgiveness and embody the character of Jesus, and we have always sought to prioritize functioning like family imperfectly at all times. And that's important that you hear that from me. This is not a declaration that nobody's ever going to step on your toes or get on your nerves around here. Quite the opposite. I know most of you. Third thing is this. We've committed to live lives of radical honesty. In the early days, we used to talk about this as a commitment to holiness. And then as we started to lead people to Jesus who were far from him and they were aware of what was going on in their lives, they would say, Andy, I can't commit to a life of holiness. My life's a mess. And I would have to help them understand that the scriptures say that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That whenever you make Jesus the boss of your life, God's lens on you is Jesus. The issue isn't do you feel holy. The issue is are you being honest about the brokenness in your life? And so we changed how we talk about that to this is a commitment for us to be honest with each other. The book of James says that we are to confess our sins to each other so that we can pray for each other so that we can be healed. One of the issues in the Protestant tradition is we've taken forgiveness into a secret private place. So I confess my sins to God in private and I do get forgiven but I don't get transformed. And so the sins that I'm stuck in are the same this year as they were last year. Because I think my job is just to confess before Jesus. But James is quite clear. It's when you confess your sins to each other that you can pray for each other, that you can be healed. And as a community, we continue to commit to be honest with each other about the parts of our lives that are broken. And finally, we've committed to live lives of radical generosity. And I could take the rest of your afternoon telling you stories of how we've embodied that over the years. From paying for people's funerals when we couldn't afford it and they couldn't afford it, to buying people cars, to giving 10,000 pounds to another church in this community because they had a building project going on. We believe we are most like God when we're being generous. And we make no apology for continuing to lean into that and doing all we can to lead you into that. Mission, family, honesty, and generosity. These are the things that have guided us over the last 10 years as we've followed Jesus, and they are not going anywhere. But rather than listen to me for the next 20 minutes, I have asked several of our team to share what they see for the next 10 years. Now, this is going to be a little bit like trying to drink from a fire hose. And so I have given them strict boundaries of five minutes. There are some wonderful sounds that are going to go off at four minutes and 30 seconds and at five minutes so that they know that their time is up or we will miss our lunch. And so as we begin, will you welcome the wonderful James Toll? Good afternoon, everybody. 
Um, I'm going to take the next couple of moments just to share some of the passion and longings that I have to see what the Lord has to do through worship in this community. So um, if you know anything about the vineyard, you'll know that uh, worship has been an important pillar in defining who we are as a movement, uh, so much so that the founding member, John Wimber, used to say all the time that worship is to be our highest priority. And I've heard so many people say that around the vineyard, and I've said it myself so many times. However, the last few months I've been kind of pondering on, well, why? Why should worship be our highest priority? And as I've chatted to Hannah about this, as I've looked through the scriptures, as I've studied church history over the past few months with WTC, I've come to realize that there's a connection between how we worship and who we are becoming. There's a direct correlation between those two things. Um, James K. Smith, for those of you who know him, he puts it best when he says that we are becoming the thing that which we worship. We're becoming the thing that which we worship. So there's no point in wasting time asking the question, are we worshiping or not? The question is, who are we worshiping or what are we worshiping? And if we believe that to be true, that worship is this amazing gift from God, that as we worship him, we're being formed and fashioned more into his image. Well, what are the implications of that for our life? How should that affect how we live our lives? Something that I remind our worship community of all the time is that we believe that every space is as sacred as the other and every place has the same potential for God to move in equal measure. And basically what we mean by this is that we don't want to create a hierarchy of spaces so that this space is more important than that space down there or that this building is more important than what happens in our homes. And over the past 10 years, over as I reflected on the past 10 years, I've realized that there's been an imbalance, that we've invested way more than for what worship looks like for adults than what it looks like for our young people. And today I want to commit in front of you all that that's not going to be the case for the next 10 years, that we are going to invest our time, our energy, and our resources more than we ever have into our kids and our young people. You see, my dream is that we would see our kids lead our kids in worship, that we would see our youth lead our youth in worship, that our young people would understand what worship is that it's this amazing gift from God that we become more like him as we worship him. But you see, however, this isn't just going to happen. It's just not enough for me to commit to this. I need all of you guys to commit to this. Um, this week I began to dream of what it would look like if we, Lagan Valley Vineyard, began to live this out week on week for the next 10 years. And uh, what I mean by this, well, hopefully by now you'll have uh, believe me, or I've convinced you that that every space is as sacred as the other, and every place has the same for um, same potential for God to move in equal measure. And if we believe this to be true, well, how do we lead ourselves in worship when we leave this place, or how do we lead our households in worship? You might be sitting there thinking, well, James, I can't play an instrument, or James, I can't sing very well. But as I reflected on my formational journey over uh, through childhood, I realized that worship was at the center of it. And whether my parents realized it or not, that they were leading in me in worship. Neither of them can sing overly well. Sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> Neither of them can play an instrument. But they always had worship on in the morning as we were getting up, as they took me the school worship was on, before I went to bed, worship was on. And it wasn't just to create a nice atmosphere. It wasn't just something to listen to or spectate at. They participated in it. They modeled what worship looked like. And in their leading of that, I followed. And on reflection, that formed and fashioned who I am today. So I want to encourage you guys that Sunday doesn't become... Thank you, Maggie. That Sunday doesn't become the only place that we worship because worship is 
far too important for us just to let our worship stay in this space. But what would it look like if we used our Sunday to be a launch pad into the rest of our week and become as leaders of our household, leading our houses in worship for the rest of the week? Because I believe that we become the thing that which we worship and we need to restore what worship looks like in the home. Amen. (laughs) Give me that mic. Great job. It's a bit unkind, isn't it? Um, Laura Laverty, everybody. Whenever Andy told us we had to get up here and share our vision, I am definitely the person on our team who's like, what time does the vision start at? And what day? And who's going to open the venue for that? I um, am more comfortable in the planning of that. But um, a couple of weeks ago, um, I'm going to talk about community and our vision for what community is. We were had, we were had, we were at an encounter night here, and um, I uh, was was at the back, and I was praying, and I was asking God to just come and speak to me, and, I, and He gave me the verse in Habakkuk, um, and it says, "Oh, it's definitely a message to Abby Gilmore, not my notes." <laughs> Um, says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. And as I stood at the back and I wondered like, God, how could you amaze me in this space? And sometimes when you come to a Sunday morning or an encounter night, for those of you who don't know what encounter night is, it's just a worship gathering that we have here during the month. Um, you can kind of come in, you, you know how it's going to go. You're kind of formed in the way that you know, you know how my songs are going to be and who's going to get up and who's going to do what. And I thought, God, come and amaze me. Come and do something that I could not think or believe myself. And about 10 minutes later, um, a girl walked in and she stood at the back and I thought, I, I want to go and speak to her. And uh, I'd never seen her before. It was the first time at church. So I went over and I felt like God wanted me to pray for her. So I didn't know what it was. And he just said, why don't you go and ask how she is? So I went over and I asked how she is and got into this conversation and realized that she just was an intensely broken person, like so many of us. And she was just going through so much pain, through so much in her life. And I asked her if I could pray for her. And she said, yes, I would love that. And she came with a friend and uh, her friend was a Christian. And she said, I want to know the hope and joy that my friend knows. I said, you can, that's available. You can have that right now. And I got the leader to Jesus in that moment. And it was just, it was really beautiful. And, and actually, I don't know when the last time was I led someone to Jesus, actually to my own shame. I'm a pastor in a church. And it just was such a beautiful moment. And I was amazed. And I got to gather in Charlotte Lewis. She's here. We got to pray with her. I um, got to pray over her life. And then about um, a month later at the next encounter night, um, she came in and I was like, I've been waiting on you coming back. Like, where have you been? And she was like, oh, I thought this only happened once a month. I was like, this happens every week. She was like, oh my goodness me, that's a lot. And I was like, you're telling me. <laughs> and uh, and uh, she, as I looked over, there was like six women in our community of all ages and stages just praying over her as she cried, as they prayed healing and prayed life over her. And I just thought, I love that I'm a part of this community, that as soon as someone walks in, that they are welcomed, that they are said, you're allowed to be here. You're at home. Come and be yourself. And whether or not you're here for the first time celebrating or whether or not you've been here for the full 10 years, I love that we are part of a community that says, you can show up here and you can be yourself. This is a safe place for you to journey what life with Jesus is. So whenever I think about like what I want our community to be over the next 10 years, I want us to be us but even more, because you are the community of people who have taught me how to be welcoming, who have taught me about healing, who have taught me about life, who have taught me about transformation, who have taught me about hope, and you do that every single week. And my vision for community is that we would be that amplified, that we would be amazed by Jesus, not every 10 years, not at the end of every year, but every single week. Every single week that we would come here and say, actually, someone gave their life to Jesus, that we would say, somebody had, we witnessed a healing, and that we would do that together. My last point is that I think if we want to be people who have that kind of community, 
is that we need to be a community that prioritizes God's presence more than anything. And that is something that I have been journeying myself over this year. It's just I've, I've been reading Habakkuk and I've been reading that kind of back and forth between him and God. If you've never read it, it's him lamenting and God coming and saying, but here is a foretaste of heaven. And he goes back and he says, but look at this. And then God says, but here's the foretaste of heaven. And I really believe that we get to have that here, that as we journey this together, as we be in tribes as we join here on a Sunday morning, as we are in our jobs, that we get to have a foretaste of heaven. So my hope and my joy is that we just get to continue to do this, but as we learn from each other that we would press into that. In the first service I did finish at 30 seconds, so I don't know what else I've said more, but the last thing that I want to say is, are you going to do that beep beep thing? No, he turned it off. Very nice. Is, um, my thoughts going out of my head. Totally, totally gone out of my head. My last thought is that I hope that we have the ability to be that for each other. Oh no, I've forgotten my last point. <laughs> Can I have 10 extra seconds? Yes, thank you. Um, as I journeyed with people over the last couple of weeks and months, as we thought about stories and with, as we thought about what was happening in our community as we were doing the American stories, one of the things that really shocked me, or not shocked me, it surprised me the most and amazed me was the thing that really brought people into transformation was community. It's like this healing balm that when you come in, you're like, oh, I get to be a part of that. And we are that for one another. And I think if we want to be amazed by Jesus, that we get to be that, that each and every single one of us has experienced transformation and healing and community because of the people who sit beside you. And we get to be that together. And so my hope is that we are just ourselves amplified, as Andy said, that we would be a church on fire and that people will come in here and feel safe and welcomed and at home. Brilliant. Thanks, Luke. Mark Wilkinson, everybody. Now, you only have five minutes, all right? <laughs> Timed this perfectly. What's the thing behind me? I didn't look the last time. Oh, governance. Okay, great. Well, my name is Mark. I chair our board of trustees. And by the way, this is a new T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> if you're... <laughs> You don't start that yet, and when you do my intro. <laughs> the, uh, if you were here on Friday night, you'll understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> I've been asking the question, what if Lagan Valley Vineyard didn't exist? Would anybody notice? Would there be anything different in this area or in this region? And well, if you've been here over the weekend, then those questions will definitely have been answered. Lives have changed. People have found hope, have found rest, have found healing, have found a place to laugh loud and a place to ugly cry, found a family to celebrate and a community to mourn with. People have found a place to ask questions, to wrestle with God, to live in tension and challenge. Plans have been interrupted and destinies changed. Our influence has grown, our reputation has grown, we served our neighbors, we served our city, and we've never let go of that dream that the kingdom of God and the life of Jesus would come to every person and every place in Lagan Valley. It's been far from perfect, we've made lots of mistakes, but it's been real, it's been honest. And above all else, in saying yes to Jesus, we've had the privilege of watching people and lead people to him, which is our greatest joy. Now behind the scenes in all of this, there's some really kind of unsexy stuff. There's structures, there's processes, there's policies, there's health and safety, there's HR, there's budgets, there's finance reports, there's legal compliances and obligations, there's laws and regulations to understand and comply with, there's admin and accounts, there's desks, there's chairs, there's PCs, there's spreadsheets, there's buildings to maintain and develop and take on, there's sound, there's lights, there's cameras, action. <laughs> there's coffee, there's tea, there's oil, there's gas, there's bills to pay, there's an office to run, there's staff to manage, bless Alan, Andy and Stu and that, and there's salaries to pay. We've got youth events, kids events, adults events, there's training, there's programs, there's WTC, there's Love Lagan Valley every year, there's Alpha in Schools, as Chris, Chris is going to tell you about. 
There's generosity in serving our city in resources and finance, and the list goes on and on and on. And growth over the last 10 years has challenged us. It's stretched us. We've needed more resources required to manage and facilitate all that God has done. And going forward, we need to grow those structures again. We need to facilitate what God wants to do, not just what he's done, but what he wants to do. We need more resources. We need more space. We need more staff. And the bottom line is we need more money as well. Angela shared a couple of verses from Isaiah 54 just in the prayer meeting last week. And it said this, Enlarge the space of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you'll spread out to the right and to the left. And actually, we're actually doing that. We're stretching out and we're taking over the unit next door. We're in a season of growth physically and also spiritually. And growth challenging. Growth costs us. There's sacrifice required. Our structures need to be flexible and changed to facilitate what God wants to do. And governance plays a vital role in this. Good governance protects us. It holds us accountable. It's vital to managing our reputation and protecting our legacy to help us run the race well and ultimately to honor Jesus in all that we do. And my dream is that we grow a structure that facilitates and champions what God is calling us to do and that we leave a healthy legacy for the generations to come. And to do this, we need ever more wisdom, ever more discernment, ever more grace, and ever more faith. Thank you. And I missed the button. Here, oh, just here, give me that, Mark. Um, wow. I haven't forgotten what I'm doing. I'm just um, not wanting to make a ugly noise down the microphone as I uh, choke back tears. Um, <laughs> there was, there's been plenty over the weekend. <laughs> I love that, Dean. What a line. Dean's desperate for me to cry. Would you welcome Chris McNaught? Good afternoon, good afternoon. Um, I'm going to do kids and youth, so I'm going to speak on behalf of Cherith, and so I do not have five minutes, I have ten, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Regina said yes, she's the boss. So um, we have ten minutes. Um, we'd love to share a little bit about what we believe God's going to do in a spirit community in the next ten years. Um, our spaces from zero to 18, there's, there's markers for those that we long to hit, that they are secure, supportive, spirit-filled environments for young people to discover who Jesus is, what he has made available to them, and therefore what to do. We intentionally do not use the word safe. That's not because those rooms are unsafe. They are very safe. Trust us, we've done risk assessments, all that kind of stuff, but because we have no interest here in raising and discipling safe followers of Jesus. We want to disciple strong followers of Jesus that live into this world, uh, showing people who Jesus is radically and in incredible ways. Um, we have Little Party and Big Party in the back of our, our space. They are parties. They're named that for a reason. They're fun. They're exciting. They're far from boring. If your children think it's boring, they're boring. Um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. They're great. They're great. Um, things I shouldn't say. Um, they are amazing spaces um, for kids to experience Jesus. But one of the limiting factors that we've experienced over the last little while is that they are two very small rooms in this space. We had 100 kids at, at High Rise on Saturday, uh, an absolute blast. And the truth is, is that there's just not enough space for there. But more so than that, uh, for example, in Big Party, we have anywhere ages from 5 to 11. What a 5-year-old and what an 11-year-old is journey with Jesus are very radical and diff radically different things. And therefore, what's really exciting as we step into a new space is, and as we have more space for our kids as well. We're able to really optimize on that. We're able to look at how we deliver curriculum, how we write curriculum, age-specific and stage-specific for uh, children. We're also able to equip our leaders better to lead new spaces with more room and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, the vision and the dream is that whenever I was a child, I was dragged to Sunday school, um, kicking and screaming. Sometimes I didn't want to be there. And uh, I know it's hard to believe me as a dramatic child, isn't it? Um, <laughs> 
But I was. But my kind of dream for Lagan Valley Vineyard is that that would shift and change, and that actually children would be the ones bringing their parents to church. Um, what they're discovering and journeying with, with Jesus would be um, contagious in their schools, in their sports teams, all around, and that they would want to come to this space, and therefore their parents would have to bring them and sit through this and experience Jesus for themselves. And so that's our dream as we step into that. For youth... It's hard to know where to begin, um, but I'm going to touch on three things. Uh, what's happening in LED Youth as a family? What's happening beyond these doors uh, for youth in our city? And then also what's happening beyond in the region as well? Uh, the LVV Youth family is a family that is growing. Um, uh, we're seeing God do incredible stuff, including the young people we've seen came to faith through Alpha. It's actually hard to know, but somewhere between 40 and 50 is a conservative number as the amount of young people that have came to faith in the last 12 months in our community. Um, We have also uh, employed Amy Woods as our female uh, youth pastor, who is the real star at LVB Youth. And uh, if you have a teenage daughter in our community, um, they are in great hands. Um, she is incredible. And so we're seeing God do incredible stuff. Last Sunday, I was away in the States doing a wedding. Uh, Jimmy Hawthorne preached, and Amy, was, they were on youth and all that kind of stuff. We had a young person come to faith. That's a normal Sunday for us, that young people are encountering Jesus coming to faith. And we love what God's doing through that. Um, uh, outside of that, Youth Alpha, some of you guys are like, Chris is talking about Youth Alpha again, um, and sorry, not sorry. Um, God is doing incredible stuff through that. This time last year, last October, we launched our first Alpha course, and I was really, really excited. Um, we uh, started our first class just to see how it would go. Um, that year, we did 190 students went through Youth Alpha across like eight classes, nine classes. Um, we've seen 20 of them come away with us and come to faith at MOVE and have connected back into our community. Um, since then, we have committed this year to do a minimum of 550 young people go through Alpha in our city in Lisburn. Um, the dream was that every uh, high school student that would leave school in fifth year, so if you attend a high school in our city, that you would not leave school without sitting through at least seven hours of Youth Alpha discussing life's biggest questions. And that, that was our dream. And uh, this year we've, we've kind of, that was like our five-year kind of dream. This year we've kind of done that. It says I've got 30 seconds left. I don't have 30 seconds left. Great. Um, <laughs> Um, that was kind of our plan. Here's, here's what I've not told you guys, but I think is really important for, you to, for us to know as a family, is that we've committed to around 550 to 600. There's actually probably a, a, another 500 that we've actually had to say no to because of capacity. Um, and honestly, like, I can't tell you how uncomfortable that makes me feel saying no to that sort of opportunity, knowing how much we've fought for it and knowing what God is doing in and through it. Um, like... My P7 teacher told me I had no future in education, and uh, I'm literally like a part-time teacher. So, um, set back or set up, am I right? Um, uh, so, some of you OGs will get that. Um, we're not going to go there. We're not going to go there. Um, and um, beyond that is that we also have two other schools outside in our region that also would like to have conversations with us doing youth alpha with their fifth years. We're it's kind of chatting and praying about Hyde Bank Prison, what it looks like the youth alpha there. Like, the sky is the limit in terms of the amount of people we, are, we, we could do it with. The reality is, is that it's beyond my job and Amy's job. We probably need to hire an alpha coordinator. It's that, that big of an operation right now. And so uh, the thing standing in the way of that is resource and finance, but we're believing and praying that God's going to make a way in that. But what God's doing in the three alpha is, is pretty incredible. Um, in the region... Um, last June, we hosted a Vineyard Regional event in this space. We had 130 teenagers in this space. Um, we also, uh, as a youth team, helped run New Youth as well. We really believe that, um, in all humility, that LVV Youth have a part to play in the region of Ireland uh, for young people. Um, one, there's one youth pastor for every 78 churches in Northern Ireland and Ireland. That is a problem. And um, in humility, we want to be a part of helping solve that problem. And so if you ask me honestly and candidly, I believe the answer to that. I believe we have young people in our youth ministry right now um, that are the future youth pastors, leaders, prophets, preachers, and teachers that are going to affect this region. If you want to go even further than that and you really want to like, get a glimpse of what I'm praying for and contend for, I believe some of the future leaders that are going to see a massive change in this region and in this island, I believe are sat in classrooms right now and have not yet heard about Jesus. And I was 17 when I discovered who Jesus was, and he flipped my life on its head. I believe that's a story for many more in our city and region. And so 
here's where I'm going to land. The answer is, what's, what's the vision? What's the plan? I believe if I say anything else but this, I'm playing it safe and playing it small. And so the vision and the dream in the next 10 years is we want to see a generational revival across this island, not just in LVV. God's doing incredible stuff here. We don't want to contain it to here. I believe this space next door is going to have a part to play in how we train and develop and lead and all that kind of stuff. But it has to be beyond this. And it's always been beyond this. And if you're asking me honestly, I think we're beginning to get the first taste of it. But there's so much more to steward and to contend for and to lean into. And so that's our dream as we step into it, that God would do something in this time with our young people that would shape and shake this nation. And uh, I think I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> Stu Bothwell. This is really hard to do something like this right now, but I'm going to have a go. My longing is that each of you would become more like Jesus. And my prayer, I've nicked it from Paul, is that we would be built up and that Lagan Valley Vineyard would become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What takes us from here to there is formation. And as I look ahead, I believe that this is a decade for discipleship. Formation, discipleship, it is the process of us being conformed into the image of Jesus for the sake of this region and for the sake of this world. And becoming more like Jesus, it's for your good, but it's also really good news for everybody that lives around us. Because the formation of our hearts, it releases us to see the transformation of this place that we call home. Dallas Willard puts it like this, the greatest issue facing the world today with all of its heartbreaking needs is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of heavens into every corner of human existence. Whenever I let my imagination run wild about the future of this church, I see four things. I see a workshop, I see a school, I see a temple, and I see a table. I see a workshop. I see a workshop where we, like apprentices, are invited by the great teacher to work with him and to watch how he does it. I see him inviting us to grab hold of the ancient but everyday tools, disciplines, habits, and practices that release us to embody his entire way of life. I see a school. I see a school of learning where we create space for us to delve into the deep mysteries of Christ and yet also discover the most simplest of truths about who he is. I see a hub where the study of Jesus is made accessible for everyone. I see us being a resourcing and sending church for the planting, blessing, and deepening of churches all across this island. I see a school where from our youngest child, to our oldest saint, we become so fluent in the language of the scriptures that we begin to dream in its language. And I see a temple, a temple where we as priests learn to practice the presence of God. And I see us becoming a house of prayer, a potent, rich, contemplative, contending house of prayer for this nation and for all of the other nations. And I see a table. I see a table where we as a family gather around the ancient rhythms of the church, but expressed in new, fun, creative, family-focused ways. I'm talking about the daily, weekly, seasonal rhythms that invite us to mark time, holy time in a busy and distracted world. But whenever I let my imagination run wild about you lovely people, I see you becoming like saints. I see you becoming the faithful. I see you becoming the hopeful. I see you as those who learn to live freely and lightly. But more than anything right now, I see you becoming resilient. Because my hunch is that the future is going to be more frenetic, more frantic. Its pace and its pressure will try to conform us in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. And so the invitation for us to move from shallow spirituality to deep discipleship is more crucial than ever before. Please hear me. Swimming in the shallow end of Christian subculture will not cut it anymore. We need to move towards a deeply formed life. So let me ask you, 
what would it look like for you to look more like Jesus in 10 years' time? The journey from here to there, it is marked by formation. Here's the thing. We can't make you become more like Jesus. We can help. We can equip you. We can resource you. We can create the conditions for you to gather around the scriptures, around community, around the spiritual practices, and more than anything, live open to the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. But becoming more like Jesus, it is down to you learning to follow him every single day. Church, I believe that this is a decade for discipleship, for formation, and more than anything, I want you, I want us to become more like Jesus. That is my holy longing. That is my fervent prayer with 18 seconds left to spare. Vet Wilkinson, everybody. Thank you, Stu. I too believe that God is calling us to discipleship. I love the story of feeding the 5,000, which is not a story, but is uh, an, uh, an account of the life of Jesus and how he teaches us to be. Uh, in that story, you'll read that Jesus asked the disciples to sit down, and they sat down, and the crowds followed and sat down too. And that word sit down means to sit at the feet of somebody that you honor, respect, and want to learn from. And I see us as a church. Uh, Jesus asking us to learn from him and we obediently sit down and learn but in doing so we teach those around us how they can also learn from Jesus and find life in, the, in him and in that scripture feeding the 5,000 it also says and everyone ate and each one was satisfied and I have a desire that everyone gets to eat and each person is satisfied um, in their bodies, in their minds, and in their spirits. And I don't want to talk about a building, but you know, uh, for those of you that have given your lives away to compassion over the last few years, that having a small space of a building is an incredibly frustrating thing. Um, but I was just reflecting on that now, and I am grateful to God for limiting us in our building space, because I believe, because we've been not focused on a building, we've learnt to practice as a church family what it means to live Jesus in our lives. He's, uh, he's invited us, I was going to say forced, <laughs> but he's forced us to go out because we, we didn't have enough space to do it here. And he's invited us to learn what it is to have Jesus in our homes because home is where God calls us to him. We are a people, not a place. We always will be so. But people benefit from homes and continue to invite people into your home, in tribes, and just in your family, and share the life of Jesus, because that will be the most powerful place that we will encounter. Homes allow us, and this building is going to allow us, and I'm excited about 10-year vision for this building, a place to meet, a place to eat, a place to grow, a place to belong, for health and peace and rest. Homes see life cycles. They have births and deaths and experiences and celebrations from loss and grief to good things too. We have seen those. We will continue to see that more. That's life. And we continue to journey together. In birthing this church, we had three pictures God gave to us very clearly. We hold those dearly. We invest in them now even more than ever. Those pictures, I'll remind you if you don't know, are we saw a picture of a young boy without a family, we saw a parent without a desire to live, and we saw a couple in an aggressive uh, relationship. We serve those pictures with our lives, but each of those pictures we saw in a home, and we began dreaming what it would be like to be a church that would be a home that was shaped in such a way as we as a church would be available and active to carry some solutions to homes, to these endemic concerns of homes, because our community is our home, where we bring up our family and our children, and we are not a, a building, but we care that our community is healthy and that we learn to struggle together and find Jesus there. 
We love to see the life of Jesus come to every person, every place, and every home. We have served this in our vision over the last 10 years, learning as family does, to navigate the rough and the tough stuff whilst also celebrating the winds of seeing beauty coming from ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and helping each other put on a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair so that they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That's not us, guys. That's the people that we place the coat on, that they will be greater oaks of righteousness than we ever will be, and that is our deepest privilege, to see uh, each person display God's kingdom in their lives. Oh, what we have learned together. Thank you for teaching me so much. Um, we have learned that the church is needed and is welcome in our community because of the way that you've carried yourselves with generosity and compassion to other people. Our council and our statutory bodies are saying we need the church, so much so that recently our council changed policies to ensure that churches had equal access to funding as much as other voluntary bodies, but that is not in every council area. We are a group of ordinary people and our best gift to local community. I read that wrong. The church is the best gift to local community. And we are a willing church family growing together. Today, we've gone into homes and served outward, but we've been limited by our space. And I see our venue as releasing places. We need a home, we need tables to gather at, we need places to eat, we need a warm fire, we need a kitchen to cook in, don't we? We need a place where we give out food. I want to see a community fridge. I want to see places where we don't rush away, that someone can cry and then laugh and we're not rushing them on. Good physical spaces like home or an expression, the greatest expression of the Father's love and a wonderful thing to do just as much as an embrace or to set clothes on someone. We're not giving programs or plans, but together we're building a home where everyone can find a family. I think we're going to have space in there for home. I see um, us not having new furniture I see us uh, taking tables from homes uh, that have been sat at and prayed at, like retired people or older people have passed away and their children go, would you like our family table? Because it has heritage. And then I see families who don't have tables gathering around those tables to eat and just learning from us and with us to eat meals to hear about Jesus, and to learn to bring health back to their home. And some of those big tables are going to be really big, so we're going to uh, have workshops where we maybe cut up those tables into four sections and then have smaller tables. And then when a family says, um, I'm learning to cook and budget with you, and we're like, do you have a table? And they're like, no. We're like, take one of these tables and take it into your home and know what it is to have a healthy family gathering around tables like we are learning. And we are going to have 30 seconds and grab, um, we, we are going to have a cap center and we're going to have cap money and linking with our cap dent center. We are going to have a thing called sit with us where we just have people come and sit and share with us where they're at and we find solutions with them in partnership with agencies and other churches. There's so much more, but let me finish with this. This only comes alive when you do those things, be those things. I'm not going to create that. You are. This is your space. This is your next 10 years. Compassion is a family, a church family on a mission with a desire to see the church alive and on fire. Aren't you glad? that you didn't just listen to me for the last 30 minutes. Uh, one of the things that God has done beautifully over the last 10 years is make this a community of voices. Uh, it's not about a vision. It's not about a voice. Um, it's a body of people who've said yes to Jesus. And 
the dreams and the vision that God is pouring into and out of us cannot be held possibly by one life, but they can be held in this body. And you've missed the point completely if you think your job is to find one of the areas that was listed and think that's the one that I'm going to sign up to or that's the space that I'm going to serve in. Of course, we need all of you in all of those areas. But every single one of you has a part to play in what Jesus is doing in this place. And I don't mean this place. I mean the place we call home the Lagan Valley, in your homes and in your neighborhoods, in your classrooms and in your offices, in your hospital wards and in your sports clubs, in the secret parts and in the public parts of your life. You see, hope and life goes viral, not through apps or church live streams, but through ordinary people in ordinary places saying yes to whatever it is that Jesus has invited them into. And together, we get to name that in each other and encourage that in each other and fan that into flame in each other. What God is stirring among us and inviting us into is not limited to ministry areas or church staff members. What we are talking about is the whole church immersed in the whole mission of God for the sake of the whole world. It is as expansive and as impossible as that. And we have said this so many times over the years that impossible is supposed to be normal Christianity. Whether this is your first Sunday or you've been here for 10 years, my question to you all is, do you want in? James, why don't you and the guys come back up as we get ready to respond we uh, used to do this thing in this community called All In. And um, some of you will remember this. We used to go away for the weekend. And we used to teach through those four commitments of mission, family, honesty, and generosity. And then we would challenge people if they were going to commit to that in their lives. But the way they committed to that was they went home and they reflected on what we had taught through. And whenever they felt ready... The, their job was to text me their name and the words all in. I literally got text messages at three and four in the morning over the years as people were wrestling with what Jesus was asking them to invest their lives in. And one friend said to me, um, she texted me about three in the morning. The next day, I phoned her and was like, what on earth were you doing at three in the morning? She said, Andy, I knew that I couldn't say no anymore. What if this wasn't a community of spectators or a community where people just are carried along as Damalola challenged us about last night and the momentum of other people, but what if this was a community where every single one of us in a sacred and holy way before Jesus said, Jesus, not Andy, Jesus, I'm all in for what you're doing around me and in this place that we call home. Will you stand if you're able? Maybe some of you will want to send me a text this week with your name and those words all over again. If you don't have my number, feel free to drop it in an email, andy at lagonvalleyvineyard.com as we listen to what God is saying and as we commit again to pay whatever it costs to see those who need the life and the love of Jesus the most come alive in him. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all those who mourn, 
to provide for those who grieve, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, that they would be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor, that they would rebuild the ancient ruins, restore the places long devastated, that they would renew ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land. And everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. And I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people. And make an everlasting covenant with them. That their descendants will be known among the nations. Their offspring among the peoples. That all who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. And arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adores his head like a priest. And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the young plant come up. And a garden causes seeds to grow. So the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. King Jesus, we welcome you among us. Not just in this building or in this industrial estate, but across every heart and every home that calls the Lagan Valley home. Jesus, we humbly and boldly pray in this moment, let your kingdom come. May your will be done here and now as it is in heaven. And Jesus, we present ourselves before you and we say, lead on. We are prepared to pay whatever it costs, to sacrifice whatever we need, that a lost and hopeless world would know that in Jesus there is undentable life and hope and faith and love. But for now, Lord, may we be captivated by your beauty and your goodness, your faithfulness, your mercy, and your grace. We worship you. We pour out our affection upon you. We love you, Jesus.